Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. Welcome to State of the Franchise, the podcast that talks about franchises of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, genres, and types. I am one of your hosts, Tom Stadler, here with my fellow host, the captain, Beep. the <laughs> the master diffuser, Beep. Mr. McDakin himself. <laughs> How's it going, Tom? Oh, it's going well, Fred. Fred Dakin in the house. <laughs> I really wanted an intro that sounded like a bomb about to go off. Oh. And I think it was successful. I think it was good. I think it sounded like that. I mean, look, this is going to be a bombshell of an episode. I don't know if people are ready for it. Explosive. Uh, because, of course, we are talking about this week, Fred, the one and only McGruber. McGruber! <laughs> <laughs> this might be our second SNL-inspired? Yes, we're making our way around, you know? Like, I'm glad we've had some guests that are picking, like, individual things, because I would have been dumb. I would have been like, let's just do an episode on SNL movies. But we're picking away at it, and I love it. That means more episodes. Yeah, well, I think it's a testament, too, and we'll definitely get into it, to, like why some of these SNL movies have spawned like a franchise or sketches that have spawned like more than one thing. Cause usually you get like the love or what is he? The, the, were you going to say the love guru? Yeah, that was what I was thinking of, but I was thinking of what's, what was Tim Meadows character? Oh, ladies, the ladies man. Ladies. Yeah. The ladies <laughs> man, or like night at the Roxbury. Like those were like one offs, but it's like the rest of these have gone. And uh, here to talk to us about McGruber is a local comedian, Mr. John Walbauer. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Guys. Yeah, thanks for being on the show, John. Yeah. So McGruber is something that you are pretty well familiar with. <laughs> I am hyped. So I want before we even get into McGruber, I want to start by uh, thanking you guys. You guys, while we're recording, uh, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I love that this show is a celebration of things. I'm sorry for clicking my pen. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I love celebrating things. I I'm so bored with tearing stuff down, and that is the whole premise of what you guys do. So I'm so excited to be a part of that. Uh, apologies in advance to your your audience because uh, I, I have listened to some previous episodes and I think I'm coming in with an intensity about this topic that's <laughs> maybe a little different. I'm like a heavy metal guy. I'm I'm a pro wrestling guy, so I'm I'm at ten on this right now. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to blow. Uh, just like just like the bomb that that counted us in. So <laughs> very happy to be here. Um, MacGruber for me is an interesting thing because it was always a fun like. Uh, you know, this is better than you think it is. Like, it's that kind of recommendation as a movie, right? Because mm. so many people are fami familiar with the SNL sketches, but the movie is so different as, as a beast, and the series follows suit in that way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really fascinating from that, that way of it's such a departure in its own lore. Um, but I, I also think that what's, what's really interesting about it for me is that I recently had a conversation with someone where they said, what's your favorite movie? And I started getting all heady and, you know, I've got the couple that I want to hit in my top five and then a couple that are going to sound impressive because, you know, I know, <laughs> I know about cinema. Don't act like I don't know about cinema. Yeah. But then as I was, as I was thinking about it, he, he said, I'm going to qualify this question by saying, I want you to tell me your favorite movie, meaning the one that you turn on the most deliberately, Ooh. you watch all the way through, 
deliberately. So we're not talking, you know, Shawshank Redemption is always on TNT or whatever when it's not mm-hmm. pro wrestling. Um, so it, th- stuff like that, like a, a Law and Order franchise, right? Always on. You can always just, it's always just there. But we're talking about what do you go back to and turn on the most? And if I'm being honest, it might be MacGruber. It's <laughs> it's in this rotating uh, small group of these comedy movies that I watch a few times a year. And so it's right up there for me with, um, you know, like Tenacious D in the Pick of Dennis, Destiny. Oh, yeah. Um, pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping, which is also, you know, a Lonely Island thing which we can get into so yeah i'm going i'm going i'm going let's go (laughs) (laughs) we are both happy to have you on here too as uh you know people who are around the comedy world kind of like on almost different sides but not like in a combative way it's just like i feel i always see you with comedy sports people Mm -hmm. and we're always usually with the uh interchange as they call it now yeah so i was like we need an episode with someone from that other world and <laughs> you it. are the person who is always the nicest person oh. that I always talk to. I remember doing the rec league. I could always talk to you like what's going on. Yeah. So we are happy to have you come on talk about something you're passionate about. Well, that's a very lovely introduction. I'm so glad to be here. I love bringing worlds together. So let's yeah. do it. <laughs> Even if it's like the jets and the sharks. hundred percent. Crips and bloods, East coast, West coast. Let's get together. Milwaukee improv scene dicey as hell. Yeah, you got to watch out here. Pick size and pick carefully. <laughs> But yes, <laughs> it's a, it's it's very good to have you on here, John. And with an awesome topic, I think when you mentioned MacGruber, I got pretty excited too because I had recently watched this show. I, no, I think I watched it when it came out. I'm sorry. I thought it was a late visit, but I, I remember, you know, having just a lot of ups and downs in my MacGruber journey because I remember kind of going into it, like the sketch I, I had a lot of love for. And then the movie, I saw it in theaters because I liked the sketch. And I kind of remember being a little lukewarm on it at the time. And then I saw the TV series came out and I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to give it a watch. And I was like, okay, I'm back. I'm mm-hmm. back. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> but what is your MacGruber journey? Where did you first encounter it? Yeah, um, I I feel bad because I don't know the exact. Per- I I wish that I had the the person that told me to watch it or the moment that inspired it for me. I think that it might have been. I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Mm. I definitely didn't make it appointment viewing. I think that I saw. You know, I was I was a fan of the sketches. I was a fan of the the Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. Um. And uh. And I also think that I didn't take it seriously as a concept for a movie. Like, how do you make you know, a minute and a half of content, a 90 minute plus movie. Yeah. Doesn't seem like it's even possible. So I think I just stumbled upon it. I'm like a, like, you know, Saturday afternoon, like, Oh, I guess this is free on whatever streaming service that I forgot that I'm paying for. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. And I think within the first five minutes, I was like, I'm in a whole different world than I realized I'd be in. And I'm, it just here for it. It believes in itself so much as a project mm-hmm. that I feel like it's it it's almost contagious in that way. And I was just locked in on the journey from there. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a movie, and we'll get into it a little bit too. That I think has gotten a lot of late life because I think there was a lot of lukewarm response when it first came out, and then over time it kind of became a cult hit, and a lot of people were like, I think people need to revisit this in a similar way to Pop Star Never Stop Popping. I think a lot of people slept on that one when it came out. And now people regard that as like, if you watch that movie, it it really is good. Glorious. Yeah. What about you, Fred? Where did you get into MacGruber? 
I remember the sketches and I thought they were funny, but was so weird about the whole MacGruber thing was it felt like the bit of the sketch was we're trying to defuse this bomb. There was a side track, side track joke. And then we don't defuse the bomb. Bomb explodes. MacGruber. Like that was the sketch. It wasn't like necessarily a layered character. Like you would see with like, I feel like Wayne's World, they kind of had the whole bit sketched out. But Gruber was like this kind of one note joke that worked well done again and again. Yeah. It's one of those things like first time is funny. Second time, it's not funny. Third time, it's not funny. Fourth time, it's hilarious. Fifth time, it's ridiculously hilarious. It just builds like that. And I remember the movie coming out. I'm like, how is this getting made? Like, it's one joke. It's a good joke. I'm here for, like, dumb humor. But how is this getting made? I remember seeing it at a friend's house on DVD. I didn't see it in theaters. The way it was meant to be seen. I think I was in college. (laughs) And I remember, like, not laughing. But then the guy who I was watching with had seen it before. And he already had that thing where he knew what was coming. He was laughing. I started engaging with it. But when I got to the TV show, I felt like I was fully like ready for what MacGruber was. Yeah. And I was just laugh riot for all episodes. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy because it also hits like that action dad vibe. Yeah. Which yeah, I yeah. love. And some of the stuff in the series, some of it looks like it's a TV show, but some of it kind of has like these under siege vibes or something. And I'm like, well, this is scratching that itch for me. Yeah. So uh, going back in, I really liked, I think the show is great. And I've come around to like the cult of MacGruber, oh. you know, cause I agree. Like now it is kind of this cult thing where people are like, well, MacGruber's kind of the shit, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel. I'm kind of in now. MacGruber pilled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too, because I think something that we we're dancing around the fact is like MacGruber. I mean, the sketch is uh, inspired by the show MacGyver <laughs> and I had never seen MacGyver in my life. Other than knowing like the Simpsons references and like everything else around it. So like when MacGruber was even on SNL, you kind of know it like it's like one of those things. And I think as improvisers, we both know this feeling or all all of us know this feeling of like, oh, you kind of have a sense of like a cultural touchstone that you maybe have never actually experienced firsthand. But you know about people talking about it like, oh, yeah, MacGyver is a guy who like, you know can defuse a bomb with like a paperclip or something like that. And it's just like, it's like extrapolating that idea to like the 100th degree. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. And and I think that in a weird way, that takeoff is both why it shouldn't work and why it does work. Mm -hmm. Like that premise of the, the MacGyver thing. I also was not familiar with MacGyver. Like, I mean, culturally familiar, but I hadn't watched anything. I still haven't watched any, any of it or the reboot. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, generally like, you know, give me a button and a twig and whatever, and I'll fix it, you know, sure. Um, and so, but I think that everyone watching that show at the time was probably making the same jokes. That is the very premise of MacGruber. But like so much of MacGruber, it's the it's the commitment to the bit yeah. of like the unwavering, I'm not gonna blink and let you think that I might think this is a joke. This is I am in an action movie. It just so happens that my materials are, you know, per the original pitch, I think pubic hair and dog shit. Or <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> He's like, hand me that dog shit. Like, yeah. I got hand and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's it's so funny. I think it's just because it is so ludicrous. And there's there's pieces of the movie that you even watch it now. And I mean, I I think the movie is very funny. But you you're looking at it you're like this is the dumbest thing. I can't imagine somebody writing this joke and <laughs> yeah. just being like, oh yeah, this is gonna kill. Because yeah. it's just like, where does your brain even pull this stuff from? The the brilliance of the stupidity is yeah. the thing. Um, I Yorma, uh, the director, talks about uh, there there's you know, like smart, smart movies. And then there's smart, dumb movies. And then there's dumb, dumb movies. And it's really easy to get in on a dumb, dumb movie because nothing has to be rooted in any reality. It's really easy to get in on a smart, smart movie because everything is hyper-realistic. But a smart, dumb movie where you're intentionally breaking that world yeah. that you're establishing, it's a tough gambit. And I, I think this is just a perfect, perfect move. And if if you don't mind, I'm going to refer to my notes here because... Go for it. Uh, a quote of I don't know if you if you watched um, uh, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Parts of it. I did not. I want to go okay. back because it's the guy who did uh, The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been wanting me to go back. Yeah. So uh, Craig Mazin, apologies if I'm saying his name wrong. Uh, quote: MacGruber is possibly the most confident movie ever made. It is completely in love with itself. It doesn't acknowledge acknowledge the existence, much less care about an audience. It does whatever the hell it wants. It's usually a recipe for utter disaster. In this case, sheer brilliance. MacGruber should be in the Library of Congress. I'm dead serious. It's perfect. <laughs> that is an actual quote. Um, and and look, that guy makes good stuff too. So if that guy says that. I'm going to agree. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes me think of like Christopher Nolan loving like schlock TV and stuff. Too. <laughs> he loves, yeah. he loves a uh, Talladega nights is the big one. I always hear Christopher Nolan. Yeah. likes. He just did a, a panel for the curse that new, yeah. that new mm-hmm. Field show, which is, Oh, that was a, a beast of a watch in, in some of the best ways and some of the weirdest ways. But did you, do you know Nolan's email to the crew of MacGruber when they were kicking off the table? Read? No, I can save it for when we get to that part of the history. <laughs> I've got I've got the email. Okay. I'm telling you, I came prepared. I am hyped. I'm excited to be here. Let's go. Well, let's dive into the dive history. Into it. Sure. Yeah. So all right. So it was um so I think his name is it pronounced Jorma or Yorma? Because I just it's it's spelled Jorma. Uh I watched a thing similarly, I, I was like, uh, I'm gonna say his name a bunch. I better so I watched John <laughs> yeah. Mullaney uh introduce him on a panel and he referred to him as Yorma Tacconi. Okay. Um so that's that's how I'm gonna go with it. Okay. Well, he did. He didn't object in the moment or act as though it was a bit that he was playing along with. So. And if people don't know, he's one of the Lonely Island. Yes. Yeah. He's kind of the the the. I would say the smaller guy. Like, is that a fair assessment of him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the DJ and, and pop star. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh. He, yeah. He's not like one of the Bash brothers and like the Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. <laughs> he does video. not get to go on the boat. his <laughs> <laughs> place yes. on the boat. Honestly, that's probably the best reference. Yeah. 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 It's like he did not make it on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it was created by Yorma Takone, who pitched the idea to cast um, Will Forte over a period of several weeks. And so then we're talking about the sketch. This is even to start. So Will Forte was initially reluctant to commit to the sketch, kind of deeming it too dumb. But after he kept getting persuaded by Takone, he was like, fine, I'll, I'll do it. And the first sketch aired in January 2007. And uh, due to the popularity, it led to more uh, segments in the following years as we kind of see all these like interludes like Fred was talking about earlier of like it's a quick minute of just like complete mayhem where he's Mm -hmm. asking for ridiculous shit. And then it's like he's like asking for 
ingredients and he's making a bloody mary <laughs> <laughs> and then and that setup of that that they established from the onset is that three quick you know almost like a three-act movie but instead it's these three little things the idea of get to the stupidity as quick as possible so the first one's probably a minute and a half second one's probably a minute and at the end of the show 20 seconds 30 seconds and just <laughs> right to the explosion right it's that so it, not only is it formulaic in terms of like the content but also in the structure and so it becomes this familiar chorus you guys know from establishing scenes and improv part mm -hmm. of it is getting the audience on board with what we're setting up right but because we're parodying macgyver we're familiar generally with what this is right mm -hmm. and now because the structure is locked in in this way too Every time it comes back, we're like, we're home. It's a chorus. That I think that's what works so well about it as a recurring character. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like that uh, that uh, short for game countdown. It kind of feels yes. like, you know. A little bit. Yes. The scene where the scene, the time of the scene get, keeps getting cut. And so the improvisers have to cut the lines and start running rather than walking and faster <laughs> and faster. <laughs> right. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Turn a two minute scene into a 30 second scene. Yeah. yeah. And it is funny because it, I'm actually surprised. I, I mean, I had watched a lot of like the sketches back to back, like rapid fire. And there's just like this evolution. They do like this like secret, like world building going on. And they're like, oh, MacGruber's a drunk and he's like recovering from his divorce. <laughs> yeah. and, and then there's this whole like stretch. I think it was post the commercial, right? Where um, he had uh, the actor that plays Mac uh, MacGyver as his dad. Richard Dean Anderson, I believe, is his name. Yeah. yeah. And it's like there's like there's whole world building like this is your dad and yeah. like he left him and he's it's like oh my god this is kind of deep like where did this come from yeah and I and I equally love the fact that they built that for this stupid little recurring sketch and also the fact that they took what they needed from it and left the rest when it came to you know moving into these new avenues of exploring the movie and then the TV show yeah. <laughs> Because then it was in 2009 that the sketches were spun into a series of commercials that were sponsored by Pepsi um, that featured both Richard Dean Anderson, who we just talked about, played MacGyver, as MacGruber's dad. And it was, I think, kind of becoming more of like this huge thing that people like knew it. Because, I mean, think about the amount of audience that you get for the Super Bowl this year. I mean, especially this year, we got Taylor Swift going to be there and everybody's <laughs> going to watch that. <laughs> but um Sorry, Fred. I know you're. I, I got into sports two weeks ago, and oh, no. I'm from Baltimore, so I was like, "Oh, this Ravens oh, no. game is gonna be great." Oh, the timing. Ah. Oh, I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll see next year. Maybe I'll give sports another go. Right. Never too there, late. I can't advocate for sports entertainment enough. I pro wrestling is the way to go, man. I there's no disappointment because our guys are working together to tell the story. <laughs> guys winning the, I can't tell you enough about it. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> it's uh which I'm excited to talk a little bit about some wrestling, uh maybe some cameos or references that oh show boy, up. Boy, how movie. many of them are problematic? Let's go. <laughs> oh man. Okay. I wanna I wanna wanna spill the tea. Um so following the success of the advertisements, then it was Lorne Michaels who approached both Forte and Tacone and John, writer John Solomon with the idea of producing a MacGruber movie. So the script was written in five weeks by Tacone and Forte with a first draft coming in at 177 pages, but didn't even have a third act at the time. So it was uh, subsequently rewritten under budgetary concerns, which mostly <laughs> involved deleting scenes containing like big special effects. Which is funny to to read because when you watch the movie, it's not short on effects. Right. <laughs> right. You know? right. Like, 
But I'm like, how could they have made this bigger? <laughs> yeah, it's incredible to to think about it from that perspective. I, I read a thing with Will Forte saying, like, you know, the limitations of the budget are part of why the movie succeeds the way it does. Like, mm-hmm. that final thing when they find the, the guy that they've ambushed in, like, the control center and his fingers are, like, taped so that he's flipping the guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, the little Dixie cup of water. Like, those, those restrictions kind of make it what it is. It's, you know, three chords and two minutes can make an awesome punk rock song, you know, mm-hmm. part of the restrictions of it kind of bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that way. And it's just, I, I think, you know, I would definitely want to deconstruct the movie a little bit more too. Cause that scene in particular, obviously is a homage to die hard. And this movie is sort of a love letter to action movies while completely deconstructing the genre. Right. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, and the incredible, oh, Man, I'm so excited to be here. Okay, uh, the the fact that it's such a love letter to those movies, you know, the the Die Hard and the the all those incredible '80s action movies. Mm-hmm. It's such a love letter to that, while also being incredibly critical of the things that we just take for granted in it. And so, the, the, even like the character of MacGruber is a detestable human being mm-hmm. for a lot of the movie. <laughs> in the same way that the rewatch value of those action movies from the 80s like oh <laughs> this is the hero okay yeah <laughs> that's a pretty interesting choice of behavior for the guy i'm rooting for but here we go um and so i, I love how that, that it's it is a love letter while also viciously satirizing that behavior that just you know we let slide culturally before <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, there's definitely, I mean, you go back to 80s movies that aren't being tongue-in-cheek, and yeah. you are just like, it is cringeworthy. Definitely. <laughs> um, so the film was shot between August 10th and September 13th in 2009 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the film uh, eventually opened on May 21st, 2010 in the United States. I don't want to gloss over the whole production standpoint, though, because I want to hear this Christopher Nolan quote that happened. So that's actually uh, leading into the series. Oh, the series. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can, that's a third act tease for our listeners. Uh, <laughs> stick around. We'll put the timestamp in the description. Yeah. We have our third act written. This <laughs> I will say for like the uh, working with the budget they had and, yeah. you know, doing things on the fly it is important to note, like, uh, I'm sorry. Was it, did we say it was Jorma? Jorma. Jorma. Mm-hmm. My apologies. He was part of not just like the Lonely Island, but he was behind writing Fresnel and doing digital shorts. Yes. So I think he had like experience making these kind of like spectacly almost because digital shorts looked really good. But there was also kind of this like my friends and I throwing on costumes and putting it together. So when I just think about him having a budget of movie and now he makes like. Like, I mean, I think he did the Rescue Rangers movie and stuff. I think you're right. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's working, you know, much bigger budgets. But, like, I just love thinking about him having, like, that budget and trying to work yeah. in special effects for the McGruber movie. Yeah. And on top of it, the idea that you said Lauren Michaels approached them to do this. Yes. I can't get over that because my whole thing was I thought they probably had a script and they kept being like, can we do this? Can we do this? Yeah, can we do this? Exactly. Like, no, I don't get this. But <laughs> apparently he was about it. A hundred percent. It sounds like that kind of thing. It sounds like that thing. Of, no way would Lauren Michaels be the one spearheading this whole thing. But apparently he was. And the, you know, the budget is, it was like a $10 million movie or something like that. And yeah, I was trying to look up that figure right yeah. now. How much was Val Kilmer's? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he had to have been a significant portion of the budget, right? Well, and I think the special effects, like in terms of the explosions and stuff like that was, you know, a couple, like, 
couple million at the most, which Probably. not a lot for for the stuff that they pull off in that movie. Mm, and I remember yeah. seeing something about Yorma watching a bunch of like movies and like how did they how did other movies pull this off? What are other movies and mm-hmm. TV shows doing to cover this? Um, as well as what they're doing with the digital shorts at SNL while he's in charge of that and like what what's the best way to make this look great? And I think the other thing is that when the budget is that low, it mm-hmm. also means there's less oversight from studio people. True. That's something else they talked about in all those, you know, oral histories and, and discussions is that they were given $10 million, which put a lot of restriction on them. But also the money was really the only restriction. Everything else was free range. And I think that for creatives, like that's the move, right? Yeah, like, for sure. I'll take less money in a longer leash 100% of the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're right. So it did have a budget of $10 million, but it made $9.3 million only Ooh. at the box office, which, again, I think and we can talk about the movie, I think, a little bit now and really dive into it, too. But, I mean, I mean part of the critical response is it was pretty frosty. I think it doesn't still have a very good Rotten Tomato score, despite its late life here, and a lot of people really loving it, yourself included, John. I think yeah. everyone in this room. But it's uh, it, it was not great. I mean, the quotes about it and... I think it's worthwhile talking about the original initial critical response and then why people have come back to it mm-hmm. because like some of the quotes that are even on like Rotten Tomatoes, they were like, Oh, this is an action movie that forgot the action part of its equation, leaving us only base comedy. And that's not enough. And it's like, you can kind of see that people are s- kind of getting what the movie was supposed to be, but they weren't like, it was almost like they weren't ready for it. Right. So, Agreed 100%. I think this is a situation of a lot of people coming in with expectations. And whatever expectations you bring is going to affect how it feels when you experience it. Uh, A lot of critics panned it for what you said, but also the New York Times loved it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's that when you have a a reviewer who gives it the the chance of like, Mm -hmm. let's take this for what it is and not what I expect it to be. Um, I think that, you know the the cultural response is exactly that of like at the time that it came out people knew what they thought it was and left it alone myself included and then it took just either being ambivalent or or whatever it was i guess almost maybe it's like a you know those magic eyes where it's like a crazy pattern and then you relax your eyes and suddenly there's like a 3d maybe it's that culturally of like i relaxed my (laughs) eyes and i let the magic in yeah um maybe it's something it's something about that well, some of these comedies like this that are like the very stupid comedies just don't hit me as well the first time. It's kind of the second time. Mm-hmm. And for me, MacGruber was definitely like a second watch. The second watch was where it was at. The first one, I was still kind of getting my bearings. And that's why I said I like the TV show so much because I was like, I know what to expect now. Yeah. So I could see like people struggling with it. I definitely don't remember anyone seeing in theaters. This was definitely like uh <laughs> people watching at home. I don't know if it was streaming at that point. I don't know if we were doing that. I think this was like a DVD, a Netflix in the mail going around. Well, it apparently was pulled from theaters after like three weeks, like the studio just gave up on it. And it was going up against like Shrek forever after or whatever. So it got crushed at the box office and the studio just pulled it. Um, But again, like it just, it, it, in time found the people that it needed to find correct yeah and i can't remember the situation of why i saw it in the theater because i think i knew the sketch i went with my then girlfriend at the time 
And I remember she was very even just like, this looks really dumb. So I think I kind of even went in with like bad vibes. Like I was, <laughs> like, like, I was like, I don't want to have to convince you that this is going to be funny. And then it's like when the jokes like weren't hitting and it was like us and like two other people in the theater at the time. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, I was just not vibing at all at that time. But then, yeah, it's like, and it actually took me until this past weekend to finally watch the movie again. Yeah. A full 14 years later. And it's like, and it was like within the first two minutes, I'm laughing. I'm like, what What was I even thinking at that yeah. time? <laughs> I, I think that there's something to be said for the experience of seeing something in the theater, right? Like the, having other people around it and that comedy moment of everyone laughing together is yeah, such yeah. a big thing. So empty, uh, empty theaters for comedy is, is, is tough. Um, and that's tough, you know, seeing a movie or performing. Right. Um, and, and so I think that there's there's some part of it of like almost the emptiness influences your feeling of like yeah. I this I, it's quite quiet in here unless I'm doing the work and I want the movie to do the work. Right. I also think that there's a lot of jokes in MacGruber the movie that are potentially divisive and certainly a, a lot different direction than the sketch went. And I think that there's a subtle. I think that there's an awareness within an audience when when we're when we're together of how are other people receiving me in their presence. Mm. So what I'm thinking of specifically is I saw the Dark Knight in the theater opening night, and I think I went alone, but it was a full theater. Yeah, and that scene where the Joker does the pencil trick and puts the guy's head down and the pencil, ta-da, it's gone. I started cracking up in the theater. I oh. thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I, I was, cause it was such a tense moment and that's a release of tension yeah. right? in a very, very dark way. I wasn't expecting it. I started cackling and I very quickly realized I was the only one in that full theater <laughs> laughing. And then I spent the subsequent couple minutes like, Oh no, what does everyone <laughs> think of me now? No. Even though they're strangers and I probably never saw any of them again. But so I think there's that kind of thing. You know, when you meet the villain of MacGruber and his name is Dieter von Kunth. Yeah. You're leaning into a C word joke as one of the principal characters of the movie. Like mm -hmm. that immediately means that you're going to hear not quite the C word, but kind of the C word over and over <laughs> and over. Oh, and MacGruber's going to start making jokes about it too and use his name as this catchphrase that also doesn't work. Like yeah. intentionally doesn't work, but nonetheless, you know, like. It's so like it's constantly shooting itself in the foot and continuing to walk. It's, yeah, it's a bananas <laughs> experience. But it's also I think that's very emblematic of what MacGruber is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Like I think they had such a control of what this character should be, and I think you hit it on it like so well before John talking about like this is basically representing like all these terrible like. 80s like protagonists that really are kind of like anti-heroes in a way in a lot of those movies they treat women poorly they treat other people poorly like they're just yeah. like i'm a cop and i don't give a shit <laughs> yeah like it's and i think you you get that that attitude out of mcgruber which doesn't make him very likable 
Yeah. And I think that's that's a tough hang for people when they're not used to seeing antiheroes. And this is a time when I think we were still just sort of on the heels of like a Tony Soprano type. And we were just starting to get like Walter White and Don yeah. Draper. Right. And like the whole idea of like this, like anti antihero of being like a main character that you can still follow and kind of like pull for was still new and people weren't quite ready for it. And I think McGruber is so abrasive that it's like, yeah. well, he's not charming. He's just an idiot. <laughs> right. like, he, he's kind of unlikable for most of the movie it's uh there's a uh, michael scott on the office dresses up as mcgruber on one of the 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 office uh halloween episodes and that's such a perfect like just doesn't get that people around him have a different experience of him than he is um i and i just think it's it's so interesting and fascinating and the ways that they use these these tropes these things we took for granted and use them against the audience in yeah. that way um, you know, to jump right into probably the most problematic moment of the movie is when he is recruiting his team mm-hmm. and it's all these big real life problematic pro wrestlers for a lot of them. And uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when he runs into uh, I think it's Brick Hughes is the character name, which, by the way, the character names in this series, in this movie, all the way through from the onset, the first one, Jojo. Is Jeremy Piven, who was the original guest star. Yeah. Casey is his, uh, is MacGruber's, uh, like, cohort, whatever, Maya Rudolph. Mm-hmm. But they're named that because of Casey and JoJo, the R&B group. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then from there, we get Tut Beamer, Brick Hughes, Vicky St. Elmo, Kristen Wiig's character, <laughs> uh, Dieter Von Kunth. You get to the series, you get Enos Queeth. Yeah. As the, which again, like, where is this coming from? Uh, Dixon Piper, uh, yeah. even just Colonel Jim Faith, <laughs> just enough. Like the head boss, Colonel Jim Faith, incredible. Um, but so, okay, so getting back to the recruiting scene, I'm clicking my pen again. So getting back to the recruiting scene is when, you know, he goes and, it, and it's all these like pretend clever ways that he's running into these and having these pretend clever banter where it's just the most on the surface you know, like not even a single entendre, you know, mm-hmm. just like, uh, I got a big dick, man. Like that's kind of the whole thing. Um, you know, it's the, it is the dialogue equivalent of the Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger handshake. from <laughs> class, Right. So it's that all the way through. And it's, you know, enthusiastic as he's got, you know, all these guys he's recruiting. And then he goes back to Brick Hughes and sees him in this garage and everything's cool until Brick then kisses his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. At which point you see MacGruber's face kind of like, yeah. and then he scratches the name off and we never see Brick Hughes again in the movie. So Will Forte at a 2019 screening, I told you, I'm all in on this. So the 2019 screening, he said that that was his one regret from the movie was that scene. Yeah. And here's the thing. I understand that from the perspective of that is one of the worst things anyone does in that movie, you mm-hmm. know, outside of the actual murder that's going on and the terrorism and stuff. Sure. That is an awful, awful moment. Yeah. But that moment also tells you exactly what to trust about MacGruber, uh, about MacGruber moving forward, yes. which is, he only really cares about himself. He's not open to change. He's mm-hmm. not open to, you know, hearing more. It's surface only, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so even though that shows you, oh, he's a bad person, 
that I'm supposed to root for anything after that, you know, using Piper as his human shield <laughs> when they're getting shot. That moment has a totally different context when you haven't seen MacGruber already write off someone that he's been in the trenches with Yeah, because they're gay. Yeah. Right. Like that, that the, the fact that he hasn't evolved as a person at all and isn't willing to uh, extend grace to anyone but himself uh, is the perfect, I think, into, oh, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm kind of cheering for this guy, but I'm really putting up with him while I cheer for the rest of the team to save the world. Yeah. I'm cheering for Vicky St. Elmo. I'm cheering for what should be the hero of this movie, Dixon Piper. Yeah. Like, <laughs> genuinely the good dude that's been through the ringer and, like, doing his best and, you know, trying to listen when the old guard says we should do this, whatever, and and just... Instead, where we get, I don't even know if anti-hero cuts, we just get douche MacGruber as the main guy in, yeah. the, in the movie. And I think that's part of why it works so well. Yeah. It's interesting because I think in real life, too, Will Forte is a pretty likable guy. Oh, my God. And I think that's kind of his magic trick in a lot of the characters he plays. And I really mm -hmm. do want to dive into a lot of the performances here, too. Because we have Will Forte as MacGruber. We have Kristen Wiig as Vicky St. Elmo. Val Kilmer, which is such a pole. <laughs> Bananas. Uh, Ryan Philippe. Is it Philip? I think it's Felipe. Felipe? I think it's Felipe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dixon Piper. A, a nice turn by Powers Booth and probably one of his last roles. <sighs> Man, I love me some Powers Booth. I don't know. There's great teeth on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, they're they're kind of the the primaries, and you were talking about some problematic wrestlers too. Yeah. I mean, it was like Chris Jericho, Mark Henry. I know uh, Paul White was the Brick Hughes, which Correct. I is is he problematic? Because not that I know of. Okay, I was gonna I'm, say I'm, I think that made it even worse too, because I like him, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's yeah. a bummer. Like, there have been some, <laughs> yeah, there have been some allegations about a, a couple of the people. Uh, in that group, uh, Kane Glenn Jacobs is now oh. the mayor of. Knoxville, Tennessee, or something like that. He's a, but he's a very conservative uh, uh, political figure who has said some things uh, that I feel like are are not uh, inclusive uh, and are uh, stupid and regressive. And I think he's a piece of shit. And um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think all of the dudes in that scene are are bad people. Um, I think Mark Henry is a good dude, as far as I know. I think mm -hmm. Paul White's a good guy, as far as I know. Yeah. I don't know anything about. <laughs> MVP, um, but I know that Chris Jericho has some some recent allegations that aren't cool, uh, and Glenn Jacobs, based on what he is comfortable saying publicly, I, I I'm happy for him to go away. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the Rock kind of got let in, I think, by the man up top, as we're finding out with Vince McMahon now. It's mm. like interesting, uh, interesting time of like, oh, what's that? People have been saying this for a while, and now we're listening. Okay, yeah, yeah, well at yeah. least we're listening now. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, better late than never, I suppose, but 100%. still, but I think getting back to, you know, uh, these other performances too, because I think it, it is fun seeing some of those guys when you knew them as like wrestlers and here they are as these big tough guys. And yeah. then the, the sight gag of them all getting yes. the van when you're like, oh, it's very much that same energy of like Deadpool too, when they're like, he's getting X-Force together yeah. and they're going out of the. 
the yeah. airplane. Yeah. I was thinking of MacGruber when I was watching Deadpool 2. Yeah. <laughs> that one time I watched Deadpool 2. <laughs> sure. I was like, they're doing the MacGruber. <laughs> it's such a it's such a, a great moment. And and again, like I like you were saying, the the joy of that moment uh in the movie of the like the the hard switches of uh, like is what's I think so successful. Forte as a performer is the master of the like I'm in one tone and it's an immediate switch to something else. Yeah, and he does it so great in that moment of the like very confident like because inside that van is my expert team. Like he's so in the zone. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as it goes out, it's just like, oh. And then like, no, 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 no. As he runs through towards the explosion, it's just, it's brilliant performances all around. Like I, yeah, agreed. Have you guys seen the brother Solomon? Yes. No, (laughs) that's a movie. I'm sure if I revisit probably has some problematic stuff, but when you said that uh, Will Forte was on the fence about doing MacGruber because he thought it was too stupid. (laughs) I was just sitting here like, I've seen the brother Solomon and I think he like, co-wrote that he yeah. definitely had a creative force in that and i think that might be dumber yes. than mcgruber but i love it have you seen it no i haven't uh, i recommend it but like i yes. said i haven't seen it since 2010 or whatever yeah <laughs> uh cuddle in with whatever your favorite vice is and watch that movie okay. it's, <laughs> uh, it's probably a better experience when you, if you're not sober um, <laughs> it, but that being said uh, my memories of it are quite fond it's uh it's Will Forte and Will Arnett as yes. brothers, whose oh, that's father funny. is slowly dying, so they they want to give him a grandson before he dies. But they're both weirdos that just don't know how to socialize. <laughs> they were raised in Antarctica because their dad was a scientist yeah. or something. It's like those two actors pitch at their highest weirdos oh, as the brothers yeah. together. <laughs> they make a combined dating profile at one point, and while they're describing themselves, the two consecutive adjectives they come up with are super and duper. Right? <laughs> so, like, that's one of the moments that I remember from that uh, that movie mm-hmm. specifically. Um, or like, oh, they they reinforce the crib with like, like Kevlar or something like that. And whoever, some guy's like, like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, that the fuck is the crib. Yeah, that the fuck is the crib. And it's it my just, favorite yes, line. It's so brilliantly stupid. Like yeah. that, that is their zone a hundred percent. Oh like, yeah. I mean, you only have to look at some of their work after, and I think they've done some really good, serious work too. I mean, we're going to be talking a little bit about a couple of uh, Will Forte's projects after this, but um, I mean, it's just something that I, I really come to appreciate about both Will Forte and Will Arnett. We're not here to talk about Will Arnett. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Tune yeah. in for that one. What <laughs> <laughs> about Bojack? No, I'm just <laughs> But yeah, Will Forte, I mean, I think the what's funny, too, is that he's bringing this intense energy the whole movie. And everybody else is pretty, like, straight-faced for the most part. You know, like Ryan Felipe. He's yeah. just like, he's like... I'm going to, but they all go with it. And it's like, and Val Kilmer absolutely gets like, it's, he gets sucked into his bullshit. Like he's like, he's supposed to be this serious villain. And it's like, by the end, he's like a cartoon villain. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. but that's, but that's part of what, again, is so wonderful about this. I think there's something about the fact that MacGruber is so exhausting to everyone in this universe. (laughs) I feel like is almost like a subtextual comment on the feeling that people had with the MacGruber sketches. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something there. I don't know. I might be projecting. I feel like there's something there, but yeah, the only people that really buy into his shit are Vicky 
And then Piper kind of gets into it. Like he's constantly being ingratiated to it. And then Dieter von Kunth uh, uh, as well. But it's that, that weird thing of the, the fact that MacGruber is in his own world is part of why it works so well. Yeah. You know, jumping ahead to the series when we're watching, uh, Vicky St. Elmo do her song at that open mic night. Yeah. And it's so good. It's so great. Cause it's so weird. And the, and and it's this moment of like she's so into it and MacGruber is so into it and then they cut to someone who's just in the room who goes what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah. and just like and not upset about it but just genuinely like what is happening right now mm-hmm. and that is the world in which mm-hmm. they all live and so the and Dieter von Kampf, Dieter von Kampf being pulled back into it mm-hmm. you know like kind of going cartoon by the end is totally in line with the fact that. They all went to college together. He's already been in that world. Yeah, right? right. That and by the way, that story about why Dieter von Kunth and MacGruber are enemies, incredible <laughs> storytelling, which again, I don't know if it works as well if it doesn't establish in the movie so early on mcgruber is not a good guy right yeah he's a bad person who happens to be a really well-trained soldier. Yeah. <laughs> It's it is funny too because you just think about the the fact that he is like a well he's skilled at throat ripping right like we know that much <laughs> but it's like it's such a funny moment too when like he and uh, and Ryan Felipe are are in the compound at the end yeah and he's like here you gotta take this gun and he's like. I don't know how to use one. Yes. <laughs> like, how yes. have you been in all of these wars that have never used a gun? The, the brilliance of that. The, we're what? Probably 60, 70 minutes into this movie. And the whole time MacGruber's got this principle of, I don't use guns. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out it's just because he doesn't know how. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I'm better than that. It's not, I'm going to use my brain and blah, blah. Like that's how he sells it. He sells it as this, like, I'm better than that. Yeah. But he's, he doesn't know and he's afraid. And when he finally starts shooting and he's just like, ah, and like, <laughs> like, oh, this is the fucking shit. I should have been using guns from the beginning. Like, yeah. just <laughs> incredible. Yeah, well, I think it's great storytelling to see, too. You have him, you know, start using these guns, even though he's kind of wild over the place. But then (laughs) you get this cathartic moment. Again, somebody kind of, like, giving into his world, too, is that you have Dixon Piper at the end. He needs a distraction. He puts the celery stick in his ass. (laughs) Starts wiggling around. And Constantine looking at him like, what the hell? Yes. <laughs> and it's like, how, how do you even respond? It's like, it's such a stupid thing. But you're also like, if I saw that in real life, I don't know if I know how I react. <laughs> there is no chance I would recover if I saw that in real life. That is, and again, that's an example of Dixon Piper character growth. MacGruber pulling a trigger on a gun, like, okay, I don't know if. I guess that's growth, whatever. But Dixon Piper is the hero of this movie. <laughs> Here's this guy who's willing to listen to this wise, yeah, wise. He's willing to listen to this experienced <laughs> guy who has yeah. these other things that he can share and willing to to give this a shot. I just, uh, I can't say enough good about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't even talked about Kristen Wiig yet either. Oh, I think. It, she's my favorite of yes. the MacGruber world. Just. And I think the other reason why I really got into the series is uh, I really loved Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah. And I'm like, this could be part of the same universe. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of got similar jokes, even though it's like completely different people writing. It's similar performers. I was just like, this is like the SNL wavelength of whatever, you, how long that was when all those guys were on there. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is kind of like the last notes of that. And I'm just glad we're still getting a series and a movie that are in this tone. 
having like you know i think it has like the 50 shades of grade guy just acting like he's in a regular movie yeah, but yeah. it's so funny because of that. i think ryan uh Phillippe does it uh Lawrence fishburne does it like i think he deserves some sort of award like after watching it everyone in this project should get an award i just i and i genuinely mean that because with all the way down the bill. All the performances are incredible. It's very much the uh, the Michael Caine in the Muppet Christmas Carol principle of yeah, like right. that works because Michael Caine is the only real person, but he's treating all the other Muppets like they're real actors, yes. right? In the same way, MacGruber is a Muppet. Like mm. it's the same thing. <laughs> Everyone in that universe is doing such an incredible job of balancing that. Kristen Wiig should get some sort of award for the sex scene from the movie alone. Oh, yeah. That was her <laughs> birthday, in case you didn't hear that piece of trivia. Oh, no. Will Forte is sweating on her and uh, grunting uh, on her. Apparently, the number of grunts in that scene was in the script. That's how <laughs> Will Forte wrote that. Um, but, yeah, it was her birthday. You can see her, like... Like trying to prevent the sweat from dripping on her. <laughs> I think they said that they like put her up at like a, a nice hotel for the weekend. Or I hope like so. That. Yeah. My but God. Kristen Wiig, incredible. I love that they brought back Maya Rudolph as well because she was, you know, the original um, in, in the sketch. So finding a way to unite that mm -hmm. and also the back to back sex scenes from the movie. Oh my just, God. Just pay, they, it, I don't I don't know how to describe it to anyone that hasn't seen it of it is you can be alone and it will be as awkward as that time that you watched that movie with your parents and that one scene came on oh, and that God. hand crept across your face or whatever it was like it's <laughs> it's so uncomfortable yeah and it and it's such a like so many things in this in the lore of mcgruber they lead you in softly and then go hard different direction <laughs> and like oh take these broken wings and then it's just right right into the uh, uh, uh. it's uh so, yes, give an award to Kristen Wiig for that scene alone. Yeah, like, we're giving out awards on this show. Give an award to Maya Rudolph for her song at the beginning of the series Ooh, to recap yeah. the events of the movie. Oh, yeah. And also set the pace for anyone who didn't see the movie and thought, I remember the sketch. I'll just give this series a try. Right. Like, incredible. Yeah. yeah, there's that song is so great with the, and I was his wife, so I homed him back. <laughs> if we're if we're going three three pieces of music from the whole the whole thing, the the song that Maya Rudolph sings for sure, yeah. take these broken wings, yeah, and then the cut of Rosanna by Toto. When he first gets in the Miata in the yeah. movie at the beginning, where it's this cool like duh, 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 as he's like reassembling himself <laughs> in this action movie thing, and then like oh here are the keys to his cool convertible, and then he gets in in some Mazda Miata, and it's just <laughs> Toto like me 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 like <laughs> such a different vibe uh. than expecting to happen. <laughs> the the audio moments of this movie again, like if we're just hitting those three those three musical moments across the series are so huge um but also do you did you notice anything about the explosions hmm no no the sound of the explosions go back and watch it's it's definitely oh. in the movies is it the panther roar panther roar there's a panther roar dubbed into a lot of the big explosions in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's a is a it's subtle enough that if you don't kind of know to look you might just be like 
oh, that's kind of, that sounded a little interesting. <laughs> but when you know it and when you bring that into like the feel of those under siege or <laughs> commando or whatever those 80s yeah. movies were like that that little panther like wow as the explosion <laughs> happens that's pretty good it's so good and that's that is my my one regret on this podcast so far besides uh just monopolizing it and, and talking about all the things is that i didn't wow when you were blowing up at the beginning <laughs> oh we gonna add that in. Yes, we'll get, <laughs> like post. Post. We'll get it yes. in post. Use my best and go back in and retroactively. I mean, we're just gonna add this all retro. Yeah, just put them in throughout the episode. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, should we start talking about the the TV series then? Sure. I think so, so focus shifted to a television project when um, another film was not seen as financially viable, probably because it basically only made back its budget. Right. So. Uh, following the cancellation of the sitcom, The Last Man on Earth, which was a, one of the projects I wanted to kind of talk about, too, because it is mm-hmm. a very different feel of a very, like, bitter version of, like, that what Forte can play. And I think that's what makes you almost appreciate a character like MacGruber more, is seeing him kind of, like, start that series as a very just, like, you know, I don't know, kind of like a little boy almost. Like, he's like, I'm not going to, people don't want to play with me, and then I want to play with them or something like that. And then, sure. Then he becomes a little more magrubery and gets a little softer. But um, after that, he uh, he and Solomon had both written and directed that show, and their focus turned back to a Magruber revival, which was pitched with the Kone to uh, television networks early in 2019. And then it was finally announced or was purchased and bought by NBC Universal in January 16th of 2020. So obviously them being involved with SNL, they were like, okay, yeah. well, we'll bring this on and we'll put you on Peacock. Uh, so that was uh, going to be pretty much the inaugural slate. I didn't even remember that. That was one of the first shows it on was. Peacock? Mm-hmm. That was That was what got me to sign up for Peacock. Yeah, I remember watching the first episode and then I had to like get Peacock and then I didn't. <laughs> the first time I eventually got it, but I was like, sure. no way! <laughs> <laughs> See, and for me, it was like, I saw they're like, oh, they're going to move the office entirely to Peacock eventually. And probably all those NBC shows will eventually be there. But it was MacGruber where I was like, <laughs> you can have my money now. Yeah. Let's go. And it's the same. Like, I just got my my thing of like, hey, your annual Peacock membership is coming up. It was like, I can't lose MacGruber. <laughs> what if they make more MacGruber? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I just oh, I'm, I'll rent a, a VCR and tape it on vhs and then yeah. yeah absolutely not i i need i need my mcgruber my membership's not going anywhere <laughs> so it was by april of 2020 then that the scripts for all eight episodes were near completion but a production delay due to a little something called covid what? uh delayed i know right weird huh. uh delayed <laughs> filming until this until june of 2021 and uh filming completed then in august 2021 so it was a quick two-month shoot yeah, yeah. This thing. Uh, all eight episodes were then uh, released on Peacock on December 16th, 2021. So at the end of that year. And uh, much better reviews, I think, than the, the movie ever got. And I think it still holds a pretty strong rating on like Metacritic and everything else out there. But uh, lest we pass the uh, production, John, now you can share. Let's get into <laughs> I'm, it. I'm excited. So apparently the original pitch was that Yorma met christopher nolan and was like we want to do another movie and we want at the end of the movie the title card comes up and it says directed by christopher nolan 
with an asterisk on it, and then it was not really directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> so that was the original pitch that they had for him, mm-hmm. and that didn't end up being the way they, they went. I guess they invited Christopher Nolan to participate in some way, and he sent this email from uh, that I guess was read aloud before the read-through. <laughs> Though I can't be there in person to watch you take the first step of your odyssey, know that my spirit soars with you, and whilst it's perhaps unfair to add to the great sense of responsibility you must already feel, I am duty-bound to tell you, the world is waiting, the world is watching. <laughs> Until someone builds a bigger bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that. That is <laughs> amazing. Great. He's probably like, man, if I get involved, I won't be able to just enjoy it. If I get my hands on it, yeah, you know, I, I can't just like take it in. <laughs> I think there's a there, there's a, a real chance that, that that's a, a something that comes into it as I fall over my excitement for that thought that I hadn't considered before. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. How does someone that is so in a specific zone but so enthusiastic about something in a different direction? How does someone incorporate that without it shaking all the foundations? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> Nolan. Make a make a comedy. Make like a raunchy comedy. I, I already it. told you. I, I thought at least one moment in his movies was hilarious, but apparently I was alone on that one. Yeah, <laughs> he. I mean, it's very funny in itself to think that he just loves kind of these like oddball, like yeah. silly, dark comedies, but. It, he's like never incorporates a ton of humor into it other than just like little weird moments where like Batman like is like turning around. And he sees Catwoman like disappeared okay. on him. He's like, that's what that feels like. <laughs> uh, Tom Hardy in Inception that like you must be afraid to dream a little bit bigger, darling. <laughs> like fires that rocket up at the guys. I, th- I think that like so comedy is the creation and release of tension, right? Like mm. set up punchline. And I think that in most of the tension that Christopher Nolan is so good at creating, the release is through some violent catharsis yeah. or emotional resolve as compared to dick joke or whatever else. You yeah. know, like not that there's not art in both. Uh but I think I think that the the release of tension uh in, in Nolan's projects goes a very different direction. Um and again I, I've got room for all of it. Yeah. <laughs> he just balances him mentally, like to watch something like McGruber or Talladega yeah. Nights to be like, okay, here's something very funny. Now I'm going to go make something very like dark and kind of serious. Yeah. Because I even think about like Steven Spielberg making like uh, um, Schindler's List. And like he was so depressed like during that, but then they would have like Robin Williams would call him and like tell him jokes for like an hour or something like that and cheer him up. And he's like, okay, you can keep going now. You got a big story to tell or something like that. And it's just like, I think about these people who spend so much time making this very serious stuff that it's like, yeah, the last thing they probably want to do when they're done making these things are watch things like the stuff they've made. They want to watch something like, yeah, like real real housewives or something, you know? (laughs) I mean, maybe, or, or maybe it's catharsis. Yeah. Right. Like I, the, uh, I, I know someone who, who worked behind the scenes at a, a concert venue in the city and said that most of the heavy metal artists that they encountered were significantly kinder than the pop artists. Interesting. And my thought is, well, yeah, the heavy metal artists get on stage every night and go, ah, and get everything out for an hour, hour and a half. And the pop artists have to hit their routines and do their things. So, so I don't know. I, I feel like it can go either way. I, I think there's definitely... I'm someone who loves especially dark music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do love, I mean, 
horror movies right now are my jam for the last couple of years. Um, but also I love doing comedy. So it, I think, it, yeah, it's definitely all of it, but I, yeah. Interesting question though, about like, man, I want to watch a Christopher Nolan directed MacGruber. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that we'll save that for that. The final part of, of this discussion. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so like getting back to McGruber, and I think I maybe I'm gonna back up just a little bit because so the we didn't really cover the plot of the first movie, which like is not the most important part of it. Like and I think it's it's important to understand that like plot is not the most important <laughs> part of these series. It's very much about the moments and what they're trying to do versus like what story they're telling. Sure. But yeah, so like, you know, first the movie is then it's like he there's this whole life of him after his wife is murdered. He's like in like, you know, like a, a temple or something like that, yes. just like meditating every day. He's like living a life of peace until they bring him back in because Dieter von Kumpf has like uh, stolen this warhead and he's like threatening to like, you know, either sell it or destroy something, right? They don't know until they, they finally find him and realize he's been paid to blow up Washington, D.C. or whatever. But it's like, so it's like, you know, McGruber assembles this team and he's like brought back into the fold to take down his nemesis. And, you know, that's when they go and finally get Dieter von Kunt, they stop him, and then he comes back to the end during another wedding after he's already successfully <laughs> killed Maya Rudolph in the first mm-hmm. wedding. He's going to kill Kristen Wiig, who McGruber's getting married to, uh, Vicky St. Elmo, and the most ridiculous death scene <laughs> of kicking him off the cliff. <laughs> but actions have consequences, right? Because then it's in the TV series then that we see MacGruber come back, but he's in a maximum security prison for his self-defense murder of Dieter <laughs> von Kunt. Uh, and so he's been apart from Vicky and the rest of the team has been kind of off doing their own thing. I think what Dixon Piper is like working at, like, where is he? He's uh, teaching DMV courses. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, Vicky started dating, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character of, oh, God, I know he's got a great General Fasus, another great <laughs> name. General Barrett Fasus. Barrett Fasus. Barrett Fasus. <laughs> God, that's good. Uh, so, I mean, we're obviously adding out some like, people in here because we have Ryan Felipe's back. Kristen Wiig is back. Obviously, Will Forte. Uh, but, yeah, because Powers Booth did pass away, we needed somebody new. So, Lawrence Fishburne got brought in the fold. We have Sam Elliott um, in there, too. <laughs> Perry. And then we have... Billy Zane, who I, I man, I think he's one of the most underrated actors like yeah. ever. I don't know. I, I think I would. I like that. Like we, he has this career of like he's kind of like, for lack of the better term, the butt of the joke. It's like, oh, and yeah. Billy Zane. Uh, yeah, I would. When I watched this, I was like, kind of wish we had some more just like regular Billy Zane roles in our in our world. Yeah, you know, right. like it's like he never recovered from Titanic, though. It's like right. like. <laughs> Like that, he probably got all these roles offered to him. Like, oh, you could play such a good asshole, and it's like Zoolander, eh. man. Like, that's the thing I always think about. Sure. Like, you should listen to your friend Billy Zane. He's a cool, dude. I'll go back even further than that. I'll go mid '90s. I was a huge fan of Demon Knight. No, no, no. <laughs> Billy Zane though had his own superhero. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right, Phantom, right? Yeah, Phantom. Yeah. And he had a cool ring, and I begged my mom. I was like, I need the cool ring with the skull. <laughs> so I was in, like, fourth grade. I was like, I need the ring with cool Billy Zane. Um, and then my mom and I went and saw the movie, and I remember her being like, it was like, it was a very strong woman character. I respect that. And I was like, Billy Zane. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I'm happy anytime I see him. He is a welcome guest. Again, seemingly very self-aware of how he is received. Big fan. 
But yeah, mm-hmm. he slots perfectly into yeah. this universe because he is Billy Zane. And with the the great name that you already brought up, Venus Queeth. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, I think it's only him that insists on saying Enos. Mm-hmm. The entire, everyone else is just kind of loose with Enos Queeth. But every time it's Lawrence Fishburne is Enos. Like it's a very like deliberate, like almost accusatory way that he says it. I find yeah. that fun. I also, it turns out not to be true, but I created in my mind this own, my own narrative that Lawrence Fishburne had turned down the Matrix reboot in order to be in McGregor. <laughs> it turns out he wasn't even in the initial Matrix consideration uh, for this one around. But that's a whole other episode. But I will say that McGruber is higher rated on IMDb than the most recent Matrix movie. So there's that. Goes to show. To show you, but yeah, so it's after serving time in this max security yeah. prison, McGruber is called upon by <laughs> Barrett Fasus uh, <laughs> to take on uh, a suicide mission basically to go and stop Enos Queeth, who has uh, acquired what is it, the uh. Um, br- brimstone. brimstone, brimstone. That's it. I'm yeah. like, I was wanted to say like brigadiers. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, no. Well, the but. the first thing is that they kidnap. There's that kidnapping at the beginning. Oh of yeah, the they series. kidnap the president's daughter, right? Yeah. Yes. Which also leads to my maybe my favorite moment in the series of the moment when McGruber just gets embarrassed and stripped down, literally. <laughs> and then there's the brief moment when we think he's being traded for the dog, <laughs> and that and the just like. What the fuck? Like the tantrum <laughs> he throws, incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> it is. Oh god, I, I like. I'm actually. I'm trying to recover all the beats of the series in my head. I know you guys are a little more fresh on it, so please fill yeah. in the cracks here. But I know that, like, yeah. So he kind of gets the band back together, though. Yeah. Like, to kind of pursue this, this queeth. <laughs> I'm saying queeth with a th yes. for the audience. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. It's um. It's a really interesting series from the perspective of like. It's eight episodes. Most of the episodes are right in the half hour range. So if you consider it like a four hour movie, it spends three hours building up and resolving the main plot and then just goes, by the way, that wasn't even what you were watching. Something else was going on. And you're like, what? And so I think that's part of why it feels like like that show moves like they are constantly mm-hmm. there. There's not a lot of just hang out with these characters, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, in an eight episode series, I'm grateful for. Like, let's keep it moving. Let's go. And, you know, we've seen how these writers can pack these jokes into this stuff. And I think that's part of the reason that it's almost hard to recall some of the jokes and some of the beats of the story because there's so much of both. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's rapid fire. It's very much a thing of if you tune out for a second, you could have zero context for why this next joke is going to be as funny as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, you know, the the journey of the like, so McGruber getting released from from jail and then going back out and like saying hi to his team. Then you immediately find out that. While he was on trial, he threw his entire team under the bus, yeah. including the woman that he was married to. He was yeah. like, it was her fault. It's all her fault. <laughs> so, like, all this stuff. Again, MacGruber, not a good dude. Yeah. Not a good dude. But so then we start to see this more, you know, the they fill out his character. Um, there, was the, there was a reference earlier in this discussion about MacGruber being, like, not a very layered character or whatever. And it's... And that's also, I think, why he works. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because there's no growth. I Maybe towards the end he hints at it, but he never really goes right. there. Um, but I think that's why it's so fun to see him over and over in these situations where it's like, 
He mm-hmm. still hasn't learned anything. And if he'd paid attention last time, it could be easier this time. Or okay, I'm going again. <laughs> You're good. You're fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, so, so brimstone is this major weapon that Billy Zane and all the baddies, uh, are, are taking and they're going to use and they're going to, uh, kill a bunch of people as they do the fun, well, not fun, but the, the eighties action movie kind of reveal almost like the rock, isn't it? Well, I guess that was, that was in the nineties, but it's in the nineties where Ed Harris is leading the team of like the former military, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like that hadn't been done before, but in the way of like all the people that MacGruber was fighting were now like, right. Like from his previous missions. That right. He abandoned yeah. or turned yeah. his back on or was like, Oh shit, I thought you were dead. And like, <laughs> not happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's uh and, and it's a ride. I think I keep saying too. It's it's funny too, because yeah, he finds out that Vicky has been dating uh Vesuvius or are they married? No. They are yes, they are married. Okay. Yeah. And he's like he's just like so jealous, but then because I'm sorry. The reason I remember they're married is because another incredible addition to the name list. We already had Vicky St. Elmo, but then at the end she calls herself well, and spoiler for those of you intending to watch the series, uh, she refers to herself as Vicky St. Elmo MacGruber Fasus MacGruber. <laughs> Which again, it's just thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everyone involved in this project. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Uh, I, I love Larry in this. He's he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is. He is just I think he always brings a different type of energy that is needed. He just, he brings quiet, like, or it's almost like calm, like energy. And yeah. it's, oh, it's, it's very much in that Morpheus wavelength, but not, never quite the same way. <laughs> Cause in there he's very like, you know, pensive, but it's like, and stuff like this, or even in mission impossible, it's like, he's in control of the situation when he's like bitching you out. And he's like, he's like, well, you cannot go rogue. Yeah. You cannot yeah. do this. Uh, Arby's, we have the meats. <laughs> Ving Rames. That's Ving Rames. That's a different different dude. Is that, Rames, yes. As Ving well, Rames when he Mission said Impossible Mission Impossible, too. I was like, I'm like, I don't think I've seen the is he in the new but No, yeah. he's in three. He's in three. He oh. is. Well, Ving Rames is for sure the Arby's guy, and for sure all the way <laughs> through the Mission Impossible series. Man, yeah. Fred, I had my I had my my Tina Turner Whitney Houston moment right there. <laughs> you had in the last episode. You want to dance with somebody? Oh no, it was uh, a confusion of the show. I made a joke because we were doing our spicy chicken thing, our competition, and I like a plain chicken sandwich. And I said I like my chicken sandwiches like Whitney Houston, simply the breast. I did not realize that that's Tina Turner. (laughs) And it's worse. I like flubbed the joke three times in a row because I kept just saying spicy chicken wrong or something. And then when I finally got out, he sent me the other day, like, by the way. Yeah. Please note here on State of the Franchise, we don't have a producer. Fred and I are our own producers. So we, zero fact checkers. Yeah, there's no fact checkers. We are doing this live. I can and- confirm there are three of us in this room, and that is it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, that's very funny. Well, I mean, comedy rule of threes. Let's wait. Let's see what who who you mix, mix up on the next episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both of us are going to be pilled that it's like somebody else. We're going to be like, remember when Leslie Nielsen was in that movie uh, with, uh, you know, where he's trying to get his daughter back? And then we're like, no, 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 that's Leonie's. (laughs) Leslie Jones was so good in the Naked Gun movies. (laughs) Leslie Jones. 
But uh, back to McGruber. But back to McGruber. Uh, <laughs> Mine sound a little throaty on that. Yeah. One. Sorry. Okay. But um, but that authoritative voice, right? That like that like you're not gonna get away with this. Like mm-hmm. there's something to it that like I have to consciously try the channel that those guys just have. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, one thing that I like about him in this series is. I feel like Sam Elliott, who's great in it. Yeah. I feel when I watch him and stuff like this, he knows that this is played for humor and he has to play it straight. But I don't think Sam Elliott thinks it's super funny or gets the joke. Mm-hmm. Larry, I think, is coming at it with some comedy chops mixed in with knowing he has to play it straight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something subtle. Like some actors like Powers Booth, again, knows he has to play it straight. Yep. But I don't think he thinks this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I well, think Larry is like kind of in the wavelength of it. So fun story from the production of the movie with Powers Booth asking Yorma, how do I play this moment when MacGruber has the breakdown and offers to suck his fucking dick or fuck whatever famous job right so in that moment powers booth came up to yorma and apparently was like so is this am i leslie nielsen in airplane am i serious during the silliness and yorma was like this is the total breakdown of the man you've been mentoring for his professional career even more straight than that Mm-hmm. And so Powers just like over delivered that drama. And again, that's why it works so <laughs> yeah, well. That juxtaposition sure. of both. hundred <laughs> percent. But I mean, it, it's, it's, a. I definitely think the, one of the reasons the TV series worked even more for me, you know, without a lot of memory of the movie. And I just jumped into, it, I'm like, I'm going to see what this is about. Like I, you know, I like Will Forte a lot. Obviously I just watched last man on earth. So I'm like, I'm back, I'm back in on him. Like I, w- I want to see what he's going to do. And, you know, and you got a lot of great people there, too. But I think it it has such a better sense. And I think you you nailed it, John, saying, like, the, the show moves. And I think they have a better sense, too, and like, what worked in the movie, what didn't really work for us at the time. Yeah. And I think they just had a better control over, like, let kind of the other characters lean into the stupid a little bit, too. <laughs> you know, it's just like with Vicky, like, she's like, it's almost like she's more airheaded in the show. And Kristen Wiig is leaning more into that. Sure. Because she's almost kind of like a little more reluctant to go along with him in the movie. And she's like, well, I'll do it anyway. If you want me to dress up like you, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, like you were just talking about like that scene where she's singing her song and somebody's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, yeah. and you just kind of get the sense that she's almost more like McGruber and like her journey and Ryan Felipe's journey is definitely more, even though he's thrown him under the bus and kind of left him down. He they're they're definitely just still like, they've been MacGruber pilled. Like they yeah. are like, <laughs> they're like, we have to, we have to kind of lean into the silliness a little bit more. And they have a little more freedom to be that way. And I think it, it, it helps the show overall feel a little more like it knows what it wants to do. It's confident. Yeah. It, yes. It that knows same confidence. Yeah. Knows who everyone is. And again, gives you those moments that, you know, we discovered in the movie. I'm those look, everyone involved on, on this stuff, geniuses, right? So mm-hmm. like, the, the, we're saying like, oh, they discovered the things that work. Like they, they probably knew, but that that discordance of the MacGruber universe, the people that are trapped in his web versus the real world of like what's part of what's so fun about that scene when Vicky's singing her song is that guy goes, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and MacGruber gets like shushes the guy or something like that or whatever. But then at the end of the song, as she finishes it and there's barely anyone reacting in the room. Everyone's just kind of like, what happened? 
MacGruber's reaction is fucking good. I listened to that on the radio. <laughs> like he's so like that. It's just it's incredible how confident that world is. And again, it's that that thing of like the like the um, the uh, Mr. Mason, I believe is his name, said about how confident the movie is. It's the confidence of the characters, even when they're incredibly wrong. Yeah, I think. Um, confident stupidity is one of my favorite things to watch in fiction. In reality, it is exhausting and terrifying and it's most <laughs> yeah. of politics. So, but in fiction it's a delight. And I, I can't get enough of the idea of this guy MacGruber, like just even just of a moment of like when he's telling Fasus it's okay that he's with Vicky now. And he's mm-hmm. like, it's okay. I don't have a problem with you putting your penis in her, but just, <laughs> I want to make sure that you put your whole heart into her. <laughs> like, and, and he keeps referring to his, his heart as like, I want you to give her your whole heart base to tip or something like that. Yeah. Like, and it's all this. And he says it with this, like this real, like folksy, like, you know, it's just real important to me that you do this. So he's so confident in this. He's yeah. so, he thinks this is the smartest and coolest thing that's ever been said. And it's exhausting for everyone around him. Yeah. It's just, Again, the confidence of writing and performing in that universe seems like such joy. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said for the show, too, because I think the movie is very funny. And the I think what the show has the the, or the, the advantage of doing that the movie couldn't do is room to breathe. It's yeah, room to world yeah. build a little bit more this time. Let these characters have their moments a little bit. It's not just like, and you said, oh, the show moves, and it does. But it also you kind of you have that time to reflect on like a scene, you know, in that room or like when he's even having conversations, you can kind of sit on Lawrence Fishburne for a second. And he's just like, we're kind of just doing like, what what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, whereas like you kind of get like a moment of powers booth and he turns away and then we're on to the next scene. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, there's and I think that's something that I'm glad this show was given a chance because I think it works better than a sequel to the movie or movie sequel could have worked. Yes, but it's also a thing of like, you know, those those quieter moments where we're able to like reflect that the series does so well. Also, I think works because of the work that the movie did, right? Mm-hmm. Like because that's been set. Yes. By the time we get to the point in the series where Ryan Felipe says, "Okay, let me get let me backtrack for a second here." So now we think your father is the architect, and we're basing that on information we got from one of your farts. <laughs> By the time Ryan Felipe has said that line in episode seven or eight or whatever of the series, it's already been established that he knows MacGruber is ridiculous, but somehow he's been right. So let's just go. With <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the reaction can be quieter in that way and still pay off to that same level. It's a chorus. It's that we're so used to Ryan Felipe just going, okay, MacGruber, here we go. Yeah. Let's go. And the fact we're at the end of a second story and somehow he's still kind of getting flabbergasted by the type of shit that he's yeah. right. right? While at the same time getting MacGruber pilled as, as, you, <laughs> as you've coined of like yeah. even the final guy that Dixon Piper, you know, with the, the scythe thing or whatever at the end. <laughs> and then he like his final cool walkaway line is checks mate <laughs> because MacGruber's has been MacGruber has been calling him checkers. The entire, he's like, I'm playing chess, but you're playing checkers. So he's been calling Dixon Piper checkers the whole series. 
And then Dixon Piper embraces that. Again, he is the hero of this. MacGruber is holding him back in every way. <laughs> and and yeah. that, again, it's just that show is so confident because it, it it's only building on what was so um, wholly considered the first time. Yeah. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Not the kind of whole <laughs> reference in the series. <laughs> yeah. Thinking of like, what is that line in uh, Batman Forever where he's like, holy rusted metal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets a look from uh, Kilmer and uh, Val Kilmer. <laughs> and he's like, it's the, the metal, it's got holes in it. It's just like, it's like the most cringeworthy joke. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Just brought that back to mind for no reason at all. 100%. Um, but yeah, I mean, the series got good reviews. I think you look at a lot of, like I said, a lot of the sources, people were really digging it because i i don't know i think it just i think people had time to appreciate what it was it didn't have all those kind of like lukewarm reactions for the first time of like i don't get it or like i don't think this is doing what it's supposed to be doing where again people only were ready for that movie and i think this time people were like i think i'm ready for a little mcgruber like you had the mcgruber fans watching this for people who have come to appreciate the movie watching it right we all know what knew what to expect going into the peacock series yeah Mm -hmm. yes and I mean, it's got an eighty-five percent from the critics. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. No, <laughs> that, if I got eighty-five percent on anything in my life, I'd be happy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's B territory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's pretty good. I and mean, we definitely live in an era now, though, where people are kind of subservient to like, what am I going to spend my time in? Because there are so many shows, there's so many movies to do. It's like. It, it almost like it's a testament to it that it was able to still find such a big audience and get such well-regarded reviews especially after i think people would have been like well why did the movie none of you guys like because you haven't seen it yet (laughs) you know yeah it's in the sweet spot for tv runtime right now for me i like i love a 35 minute show yeah you know like you know not quite 20 not quite a 60 just like that little like beefy half hour i like that a lot I'll say an issue that I had uh, both watching and rewatching the show and everything on Peacock, by the way. This is just a note about Peacock. Uh, I don't like Peacock because it doesn't have the option to not autoplay the next episode. Right. And I'm uh, very much the person that the Are You Still Watching was invented for because I'm, you know, horizontal on my couch, really, really enjoying it. And I will be full laughter one second and dead asleep the next second. (laughs) And so... And so, you know, going back and then having to be like, I don't remember if I watched this episode and like this looks familiar or whatever. So um, that was that's been my only gripe with with MacGruber was the the viewing experience on the app. Mm -hmm. But agreed about like the length of the episodes. It's digestible in that way. Agreed about the fact that, you know, digestible as well. Like the content has settled in a way where I think the public knew what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. We're all on the same page going in so we can be enjoying it at the same rate and not some of us are catching up and some of us are finding it later. Yeah. And I think we're in a culture now though, too, 14 years after the movie where people are going to go find what they want to watch. Right. It's like, if you don't want to watch this or even critics are even just like, you know what? It didn't look up my alley. There's other critics who can review this and the people who are like, Oh, I love MacGruber. I'm going to watch the show and they're going to watch it. Whereas like you have a movie that obviously has an odd, it's supposed to be for everybody. Right. And it's like, I, I don't know that MacGruber is for everybody. I think there, there's, there's a, there's a fine line because it is a little dude bro in some I, places. And I, there's again, another, another 
one of the things I read at some point while preparing to to be here tonight. And thank you again for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. Um, the, uh, there was someone who said that the intention, it might have been Yorma, who, that said that the intention initially was how does the audience receive this, but the success they found was in being like, the audience will figure it out. We need to just do what's going to be right for us and for the characters. Yes. And there's and there's some level of, and I think this could potentially, not that I'm trying to give you the segue, but this could potentially lead into talking about what the future of the franchise would hold. I think that I always want to put the trust in the artist. I never want to put the trust in the people that have the money. I never want to put the trust in... I, I love audiences. I'm grateful uh, to the ones that come to the shows that I'm uh, a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to be in one when I'm in one at a cool thing. Um, and also, as an audience member, I want the artist to trust in themselves over how I'm going to react to it. Because that's when I feel like the work is the best. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what they did, even drilling down into this infinitely goofy character and world (laughs) that they built fully agreed yeah and i think it's exactly as you said before too they were so confident in what they were doing and the everything that's mcgruber has been completely true to itself yes for whether it's your cup of tea or not yeah it it is what it is and it's not apologizing for what it is and it, it shouldn't that's how you get great art even if it's biting on its own continuity, it doesn't make sense. Like, who's your father now? It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, because, yeah, because the characters are still so strongly rooted in who they are that those, even those important pieces don't matter. Yeah. So let's talk about some coulda, woulda, shoulda possibilities here. I guess, where would you guys see the series going next? And are there things that you maybe wished they had an opportunity to do? maybe during the movie or during the show or whatever else. I'd like to go last if that's okay. Okay. Sure. I'll go first. Mine's yeah. bad. No, it's a, no, go. no, it'd probably ruin McGruber. It would ruin another franchise, but you know, it's an SNL property. You know, mm-hmm. we've got this guy who's working on these, you know, big terrorist crimes happening in the United States, but you know, there could be some sort of cooperative, you know, task force between the United States and Great Britain. What maybe MacGruber has to call on a certain international man of mystery to help Whoa. him handle things. And he brings in Austin Powers. <laughs> now, let me put in the caveat. Mike Myers goes nowhere near the script. <laughs> Tacoma and um, the SNL people get Kristen Wiig and her writing partner in it. Get them yes. together. Have them write it. Mike Myers can be in it. He can't be in it more than 30% of the movie. This is an ingredient. I love Mike Myers. Agree 100%. Keep going. Yes, I, we all love Mike Myers here. <laughs> but... This is the thing. I think it could be good in the right hands, but in the wrong hands, it could just ruin two franchises. Yeah. But that's what I was thinking. Bring them back. What would be fun in that regard? I think it would be great to have like a crossover episode. And I think that would be like, like he goes to has to go to the UK or whatever. And like you have Austin Powers, like kind of being like his, his the guy he has to partner up with for like mm-hmm. one episode, right? Kind of like, uh, I'm even thinking like the Mandalorian and no, no spoilers there, but it's like, you know, he goes to like one planet and he sure. runs into Ahsoka, right? And there's like a little like buddy cop thing with them for this one episode. And then, you know, it, it's stuff like that that I think it could be fun to kind of see the universe grow. 
um, like one of the things I've been watching a lot recently, I'm watching like a lot of Hulu shows. And I mean, Hulu is making a lot of great content. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to talk a lot about that coming up in a couple episodes of say the franchise from now. But um, there is something about the first season of these shows. And it made me think a lot about the McGruber TV shows. I've been watching these because they're very self-contained. They're very much establishing the world a little bit and kind of establishing. It. And then you get to like season two of these shows and suddenly they pepper in a lot more like cameos because they're getting people outside who are fans of these properties watching these shows and they want to drop in. They're like, I love your show. I just, just one episode, you know, I want to come in and, you know, just do something. And I think, that could be exactly the future of what MacGruber season two could be is here are some cameos of people coming in like a Mike Myers or of like you do get maybe like Maya Rudolph, like her twin sister, because for some stupid reason, right, get her back in the fold. And I think there's just a lot of potential too to grow on it and keep spoofing on like different things like, OK, We've done like the action movie. We've done the action TV show, like 24 or whatever. It would be kind of fun to do the same plot element of 24. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah. like it cuts back to the countdown thing of like, you have 24 hours and it's 24 real hours, you know, or it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to see Kiefer in a MacGruber, to be honest. <laughs> He'd be a good villain of I like that would. Kilmer, Billy Zane mold. Mm-hmm. I like that. Incredible ideas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Are, are they listening to us, Yorma? If, if you're out there, Will, <laughs> okay. we 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 got the thoughts. Just come to us. <laughs> I'll help fund it. I have six dollars. Six dollars. But John, you were the you're the passionate MacGruber fan. What what are your ideas here? I I gotta say I'm um I wanna I wanna say uh, Will Forte uh had one time mentioned wanting to do a cartoon version of it. Oh, wow. I love the idea of. Yeah, I'm going to evolve that a little bit based on having uh, also listened to the episode of this show that you did with uh, the wonderful uh, Mia talking about Rankin and Bass. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see a claymation version of MacGruber. <laughs> oh, oh, I'd love it. And a I'd holiday special. Yeah, you could, you could keep blowing him apart. <laughs> and then he has to get like reassembled by his team or whatever. I yeah. think that'd be another fun way to do it. Um, that kind of blends the lore of like the movie and the sketch in that way. Yeah. Um, and you could even do them as little shorts, you know? Um, so that was an option that I liked a lot. The biggest thing for me is that I, I would only want to watch it if the creative people are involved. Right. And that being said, what you guys are also talking about the, I like the, the SNL movie crossover idea as well. I like the, kind of anthology series as well but i think that you could do just a whole series on dixon piper mm -hmm. and and it's just his stuff and mcgruber as a tangential character who just like canadian crosses through and <laughs> blows up any progress that's been done and then dixon piper just has to reassemble his job and still finish the mission before mcgruber comes back in and ruins it in another way and i think just I like, like it. yeah just like a limited series give me three or four 45 minute episode or 45 minute long episodes where mcgruber is in like make him like the the beetlejuice of beetlejuice yeah, right? yeah. Beetlejuice is in like 15 minutes of the original movie. right mm -hmm. make it that like let mcgruber be an entire agent of chaos keep it consistent though of everyone else's doing this make it make it a real action movie mm -hmm. yeah and see what happens when mcgruber's hijinks come you know tap dancing in from the side 
when when the stakes are really high and everyone's yeah. bought in with that legit <laughs> tension, that that hardcore like, how is Tom Cruise in Maverick gonna get out of this <laughs> moment? You know, like dial it up. Let's go for it. Just to build all that, I think it'd be cool if like MacGruber could become like the powers booth role yeah. somehow where like the government agency is for some reason vetting MacGruber as like, okay, we're going to listen to him. Mm. And Ryan Philby is the main character who has to like have him as the guy. Like, yeah. and like, what, what are you even talking about right now? You, know? like, you have the answer. Just let me do it. <laughs> I love that. Did we get an episode in the season that was from like his perspective, Dixon Piper or Vicky St. Elmo? No, not really. No. We got, um, we got the moments when MacGruber was going around and reuniting, which were initially told from their, their perspectives sure. or, um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's a MacGruber show. Right. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah. I mean, I would love even just in a season two of like, yeah. yeah, just give me the perspective of like, here's a day in the life of Dixon Piper and like, we're following him. And then you just kind of see what does it look like from somebody else's worldview? Yeah. Because I mean, it does break out of like, not the fourth wall, but you know what I mean? It kind of breaks out of like this MacGruber vision a little bit of like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. And as long as he's on the screen, you know how ridiculous this is, but yeah. it, I, I kind of love it as like uh it's like the normal guys. I, I always love those types of episodes and other shows where it's like you're so used to seeing this one protagonist point of view and then you get somebody else and it's just like a quieter life. Like nothing's really happening until that person shows right. up yeah. and everything goes crazy. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Anything else you would add? I've got, I've got, let me see. Uh, For sure, before this ends, I would love to make sure to shout out uh, Derek Mears, I believe is his last name. Yes. Um, the the tall gentleman who plays the the henchman of Dieter von Kumpf. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, um, he is a comedy sports Los Angeles guy. Oh. Um, so shout out uh across the the comedy sports network. Um, I've never met him, but he's he seems wonderful. He was also uh Jason Voorhees in yep. the reboot. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he is a cool guy. Thing. Like when he talks about these roles where yeah. he's like just the big guy, he talks about it like he's Hamlet, and it's great. Like. <sighs> He just adds so much layering to his, like, when he played Jason, like, I, he has great interviews talking about him playing Jason. I, I love it, Derek Mears. I saw him say something about, like, it, like looking into, like, childhood trauma and right. stuff like that. Wow. For, for Jason, incredible. Mm-hmm. Cheers to him for that. He was also the the limo, limo driver, real bit part, but in Popstar, the limo <laughs> yes, driver. Yes. just And crushes in that moment. Just So cheers to Derek. I wanted to shout him out. Um uh, again, having never met him, just wanted to shout him out. Yeah, I think we can hit if you if you're interested, we could do top moments from sketch movie and or um, series. Um, and then let me see, let me just quick scroll through. I had the the audience doesn't know this. I have pages and pages of notes on my phone that I'm scrolling <laughs> through right He's now. Not kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, let me see here. Are there any big quotes or things I missed? Oh, Will Forte on his lesson after the movie came out. I did learn a lesson. It's much easier to live through your movie bombing when it's something you have not made any compromises on. If we'd taken steps to try to make it connect more with the mainstream audience and it didn't do well, that would be hard to take. But we made exactly the movie we would want to see ourselves so fuck those fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> That's that good. Is, that yeah. is how you get the Snyder cut. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of toxic people like, show us that cut. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. what That is a whole other <laughs> animal of an episode. Absolutely. I, 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 That is really cool, though. That's a perfect perspective to yeah. have on that. And you know what? And guess who was right at the end of the day? 
Will Forte. They mm-hmm. those guys put all their stuff into it, and people found it, and people love it. And if you don't, it. and if you don't like it, then your license plate is probably KFBR three nine two. Probably. The, oh, well, let's get into the top three moments from the sketches movie TV series. Everything MacGruber. So, do you want to kick us off, John? Sure. Um, I, uh, so I'll also say I, I had also proposed before we started recording that another option for this segment could be top three throat rips, uh, the incredible, uh, so, so the first throat rip will be, will be one of my moments, uh, because it's, he keeps referencing in this movie that he loves ripping throats and <laughs> it's like, and I'll rip as many throats as it takes as blah, blah, blah. And then the one time he's like, and I'll suck as many, I'll rip as many throats as it takes <laughs> to it. And he keeps saying this and he's so bad at everything. You're mm-hmm. like, there's no way. And the first time he rips a throat out of a dude <laughs> as an audience, it takes you out of it for a second because it's so brutal and grotesque. <laughs> And then you're right back in because you go into the Will Forte, like, wow, all right, cool. Like, he's so, (laughs) like, silly and funny about it. And then, like, on the third one when he does the turkey call, because it's, like, (laughs) like in bowling when you go three strikes. Okay. Throat ripping. That's one for sure. Uh, I mentioned the the backstory with Dieter von Kunth. Mm -hmm. Um, In the movie, MacGruber describing to Dixon Piper the whole, like, oh, he and Casey were dating and then... They got pregnant, and then I started having sex with, with and, and just like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. it's it's another one of those. He is even worse than I thought he was. Kind of moments again, right before you need him to be the hero of the movie, which I absolutely love. I think that's executed brilliantly, um, and not that there isn't a moment I could bring in from the series too, but the the beauty of the moment when he's finally diffusing the bomb in the movie mm-hmm. and the thing opens up and he's so confident. And then it's what the fuck is all of this? <laughs> I'm like a three wire guy. Yes. I'm looking for a green. Oh, here's a green. Oh, there's like a bunch of green ones. <laughs> the, the levels that that lands on to me are so brilliant because it's another thing of they set this up. This is his thing. And whereas they paid the one thing off, this is the rug pull of like, he can rope, rip throats, but good luck, whatever. <laughs> and he still finds a way, even with his own, you know, uh, I was going to say capacities, but lack of capacities, <laughs> still finds a way to MacGruber himself into victory, to himself himself into victory. That's a weird way to end that. <laughs> but he still finds a way to be whatever MacGruber as a hero looks like. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Those are good ones. Great picks. You want to go next, Fred? Sure. I, uh, I'm i going to do one from the movie just because it's the one I always think of is just him getting the whole team together and them exploding yes. is the bit I always remember from MacGruber. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to pick two from the series just because it's fresh, and I was actually just really happy that it kept me laughing. And I think so one is just kind of circumstantial. One was I was about to start the show and I was like, huh, it's been a little while since I watched MacGruber, but it's MacGruber. I don't think I have to rewatch MacGruber. I remember MacGruber, but is there going to be stuff that I forget? I don't know. I'm going to just throw on the series. I throw on the series in the first few minutes or Maya Rudolph doing a song recapping that is just hilarious. And I think just me like, oh, should I watch the movie first again? And then like seeing that, it just made me laugh. The other thing from the series that made me laugh, which probably made me laugh from watching anything more than I have in like 
years, probably since game night. Game wow. night, I remember seeing in theaters and like laughing out loud. Yeah, yeah. So Is that hard. the Bateman? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The when the guy gets sucked up into the airplane, and Rachel McAdams <laughs> go, "Oh no, he died!" <laughs> like, I just remember like dying. Yeah. But uh, the moment that I just had like one of these uncontrollable laughs was when he's getting tortured by the guy who can't see anymore. I say it that way because he used to see and something MacGruber did Correct. made him lose his sight. And MacGruber gets away. The blind guy shuts the lights off to even the odds. And there's a scene where the blind guy is looking for MacGruber and MacGruber's hanging from like this fence or whatever. And his butt cheeks are eye level to this blind guy. And it just, it stays on this blind guy getting closer and closer. And the butt cheeks are getting closer and closer to his face. And I don't know why this just sent me into like a fit of laughing because the guy is playing it so straight. He doesn't know these butt cheeks are so close to his face. <laughs> and just like Will Ferrell, Will Forte's little butt just like hanging there. I don't know. That is the hardest I've laughed watching something in a while. Wow. I don't know <laughs> so why. Good. That's fantastic. It's the tension of that scene. Yes. Yeah. And he was such a good job of being like, oh my gosh, this guy from MacGruber's past is back and he's a real threat. And then MacGruber gets the upper hand. But then it's, it's evened again. And then this right at the height of like, oh gosh, is MacGruber really going to get, oh, there's his butt in that guy's face. Like it just, it's so deathly done. Oh, yeah. Man. Was that, did you pick three? Yes. yes. Oh, first wow. one was from the movie. The first one was the getting the team together. Yep. Yep. Van. And then just the recap song by Maya Rudolph okay. made me laugh. I was like, whoa. Yeah. I was like sucked in. I'm like, yeah. man. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, keep going. Keep going. What else you got? <laughs> I just described like like goofy comedy. It seems to work. Right? Yeah, <laughs> just like yeah. and his butt cheeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. Um, I mean, the movie's pretty fresh for me, so I'll probably pick a couple from there. Sure. I, definitely. Uh, you, you mentioned the license plate when Ryan Felipe finds his notebook. <laughs> He's just going through it. It's just all like KFBR 392 or whatever. And it just keeps going through it. There's like, that it starts to get into madness. There's like individual letters with like, it's very much like the shining, like <laughs> Jack Torrance writing all, all, all work and no play. And the cartoons of what he's going to do. Oh, yeah. The guy and the and he's like, shoot, he's like shitting on the guy. And then yeah. he turns the page and the guy's looking up. And <laughs> I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. Will Forte drew all of those. Oh, cartoons. I'm so happy to hear that. He also, in case you're interested in more Will Forte stuff, he put out a, a book of all his drawings from when he was younger. It was like, how not to pick up chicks or something like that it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful book can't recommend it enough um yes i'm sorry go on no no worries that is fantastic to know because i think it's i don't know i'm just such a big will forte fan i'm like Same. i want to keep pursuing everything he does now yes. i'm like that's awesome to see um the number two though i mean i mentioned it earlier because ryan felipe did it at the end of the movie and i was a very big debate whether it was him doing it or will forte but just him Completely getting down stark naked. I don't know. Something about being Will Forte being <laughs> naked is hilarious. And he has the fucking stalk of celery in his ass. And then the the best payoff to that joke is not just the shock of the people looking at it. I'm like, what the hell am I looking at? As Ryan Felipe is like taking people out with it. And, <laughs> but then it's later. They're like, they're like, wow, job well done. He takes a bite of this celery. <laughs> yeah. And 
And Vicky said, I was like, oh my God, it's disgusting. He goes, I washed it. <laughs> well, and then, and he goes, I washed it. And then he looks at Dixon Piper and goes, does a little like, I didn't wash it. He does like a little like aside to him that makes it even worse. It's so gross. They, and they, so they shot the celery in Forte's ass scene the day that his mom visited set. Oh no. Uh, his mom visited set with two of her friends and he was like, he was like, I was trying to get them to come in the afternoon, but it worked better for their plans to come in the morning. Oh. So they came in the morning and he's like, my mom's pretty used to seeing me doing my stuff. But the other two women were just aghast. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't imagine. That. And I look and agreed though, Felipe or, or Philippi or whatever, however I'm mispronouncing <laughs> his name, committing to that bit as well and going that, as an action star, romantically, like the the dude did some heat, you know, around yeah, that time, yeah. and so for him to go that goofy with it, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, I almost picked the scene where you got used as the the human shield though too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll give a shout out to the sketch because we haven't talked about that yeah, yet. Because there are some really funny moments in the sketch, but. Um, I mean, there's like a really funny moment too, where he, I just an honorable mention where it's just like, they're talking about him being a drunk and it's literally just someone there. Like, I think it's like Molly Shannon or, uh, or Maya Rudolph trying to talk to him and be like, you need to defuse his bomb. And he's just hammered on the couch, just like eating a sandwich and he's just not responding. He's like, eh. oh, it's fine. <laughs> and then it just ends in an explosion. It's so stupid, but there's a, there's this whole little like couple like sketch story of like him and MacGyver is his dad. And he's like, they get into it because he's like, you left me when I was a child and all that. And it like fast forward to like 2040. And he's like on a space shuttle with Chris and Wig. And he's like sitting there like kind of waxing poetic. He's like, I said some terrible things to my dad once upon a time and told him that I was going to piss on his ashes and all that. There's something to this effect. <laughs> and she, Chris and Wig's just sitting in the, in the room with him. And she's like, yeah, she's like, it's, it's so sad. He's like, do you need me to be here for this right now? Or do you want to be alone? <laughs> and it cuts, it zooms out. And he's sitting on the toilet and he's just dumping <laughs> these ashes into the toilet. <laughs> like taking a dump on him. And I am just, he's like, no, no, I want you to stay. Want you to be here right now, yeah. and it was just cracking up because it was like the last thing I expected to see is just him <laughs> on the crapper. But he has no shame, like as as an actor and the character himself too. It's just so funny. Zero fear. The dude like doesn't break. No, okay? mm. like doesn't break. Uh, I I'm. Th there are lines that he pulls off all through this this lore of MacGruber that no one else could pull off as funny as he does. I just, I'm I'm so appreciative of this whole thing. Um, Seth Meyers uh, said something about like Lauren was a big fan of this, and then people that didn't know any better gave us money, and that's how the best stuff happens. <laughs> like, I Seth Meyers is 100 percent correct. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. this is this is the best. Yeah, it's a it's a funny funny. It's a funny entity. I mean, yeah. it is a truly a franchise. I mean, we literally have talked about it in three different forms. I mean, it, it was it's so exciting to talk about this. I'm glad we got a great conversation about this. I do think this gets us to the end of the episode. Here, yeah. Guys. But, John, thank you so much again for being here. Before we let you go, yes. is there anything you would like to plug? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to plug this show. Thank you for having me on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, again, a, a big fan of the very idea of what this is, the celebration of rad shit. Um, thank so, so thank you for having me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a part of the Midnight Show, which is every Saturday night in Milwaukee, uh, 11.59 p.m. It is uncensored improvised comedy. Uh, it's $10 cash at 420 South 1st Street, which is the Comedy Sports Building. 
Um, I mean, uh, oh, and you can you can follow us on Instagram at at Midnight Show, and that Midnight is spelled M I D N I T E. So it's at Midnight Show. I'm also in uh, Voyager Comedy, uh, which is stand-up and improv. It's uh, We have some stand-ups come through, and then we do improv based on their stand-ups. That's super fun. That's on Instagram, at Voyager Comedy. Um, and it's the second Tuesday of every month in, in the Moon Room of Landmark Lanes in Milwaukee. Um, so that's where to find me. Oh, I was trivia on the east side of Milwaukee on Sundays at a bar called Vintage every Sunday at five. Oh, heck yeah. Um, so that's fun. Come on down. I don't write the questions, but I work for an awesome company called Trivia Mafia. Um, they're based out of the Twin Cities, and it's every week there's fun new stuff that I'm learning, and it's just a good time. Good time to come hang out with friends, whether you know the stuff or you're just learning. Um, yeah, I think that's my stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm also at comedy sports. I, I teach there sometimes. Uh, I've been meaning to come hang out with you guys at interchange sometime. Um, I, I'm just, there's so much stuff. I've got a full-time day job at a nonprofit that I probably <laughs> shouldn't mention based on the other stuff I've said on this podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm really, I'm really lucky to be involved in a lot of things that mean a lot to me. Um, and I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to be here with you guys tonight. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being on. And yeah, seriously, if you guys have not had a chance to get around Milwaukee, I think John just mentioned a ton of fun spots, landmark lanes, comedy sports, so many great places. You can go check things out. I mean, there's so many events going on and as much as we like to drum up the joke that interchange comedy sports, I think we're all happy that comedy is such a big part of the city and there are a lot of very funny people out there. So please go and support them. Absolutely. Oh, and I, uh, I said all the things I'm also on Instagram at John Waldbauer's J O N W A L D B A U E R. You probably grab it from the the thing. I didn't have to spell it out. People are looking at the name probably. Oh, we'll have you on there for that. Yeah. 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 Your name will be front center. Yeah. Put me in the lights, baby. <laughs> Fred, how about you? Anything you'd like to plug? Oh, I'm just gonna let you plug the podcast. Check it out. That's all I got going on. It's yeah. just making the sick ass pod. <laughs> the dopest of pods. The yes. dopest of pods. Man, there's so many nice things being said. I mean, I think Fred and I are just feeling fluttery in our tummies right yeah. now. But uh yeah, you can obviously uh follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook threads oh we'll explore some other stuff youtube uh state of the franchise with fred and tom um you can rate and review us please give us five stars very easy to swipe down you can leave us a five star rating honestly it's very quick and we love it because it'll get us out there uh you can also uh find our, our resources in linktree we have a donation tip jar we have uh links to our our socials there too and our email you can write us an email at state of the franchise podcast at gmail.com uh john thanks so much for being here again my pleasure it really was guys. awesome having you you are a great resource for McRuber and everything <laughs> let's go let bring me back let's do another one yeah. well, i think we were we're gonna talk after the pod we know what we want to bring you back let's go yeah. all right see you guys soon yeah all thank right. you all for listening and we'll see you next time see you Charge my phone, drive listening to you. And work a tar do my will of